you would uh, bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to open to Genesis chapter 32 and 33 together this morning. But before we do, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to gather together here as your people to worship you, uh, to come to you in prayer, to celebrate communion together. We thank you for uh, your life-giving, life-changing, eternal word. We pray that as we open it today, that you would lead and guide our time, that you would teach us that you'd correct us, that you would show us more fully uh, the promises that you've given us. I pray that you'd help us to trust more fully in you this day, having seen you more clearly. We just confess that as we do this, as we open your word, as we preach from your word, that we can't do this on our own. So we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. We thank you for that wonderful gift. We pray that you would be our teacher and our guide this morning, and it would be well-pleasing in your sight. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you look around at the world uh, today, it can become kind of overwhelming very quickly. Uh, If you watch the news, if you see the things that are going on, uh, whether it's shootings, whether it's uh, ISIS, whether it's wars, whether it's all sorts of scary things all around us. And you can look at those things and as you watch the news or as you see those things and if you start to focus on them and you start to give it a lot of your time, uh, anxiety can kind of creep up. Uh, Quickly that can turn to to fear and struggles and in different ways when we start to think on those things because there's a lot of scary things in our world. Uh, For me personally, I don't look at those great big huge global type of things. They don't really, I don't say they don't bother me, but they don't press in on me as much so much as just... uh, our culture and, and where it is and the things that we celebrate and the things that we talk about. And then I look at my children and that can be overwhelming to think about the world they're growing up in. And that's where I feel it in my own heart when I start to look around and see those things and think about what they're growing up into and what that looks like. But when we get into those, that type of thinking and we start to devote a lot of mental energy to that frustration of, of the scariness of the world the struggles that are there. I can easily look at my children and if I dwell on that too much, it can start to become overwhelming. It can quickly go from being anxious to fearful to kind of this overwhelming type thing in my life if I'm not careful. And if we begin to do that, we start to look at the things in the world. Maybe we read, spend a lot of times reading the news and looking at all these things. We can quickly become justified in our fear. We can be, we can feel very vindicated and going, it's OK for me to be anxious and fearful because look at all this mess. But there's a problem in that as believers, as people who believe in who God is and what he's done and the way he's revealed himself in his word. And I think the problem is simply this. The Bible tells us over and over not to be fearful, to not be afraid, to not respond in those ways. And if I'm honest in my own heart, when I start to feel those things and I start to go that way, the truth is I'm living in different areas and unbelief in my life. I'm not fully believing who God is and what he said. And so when we start to vindicate those feelings and we start to go, yeah, that makes sense and that's okay and it's all right. Then we quickly move to very pragmatic ways to address them. Oftentimes not what God tells us. And it unravels very quickly and we begin to live out of unbelief. That can be a very hard place to live, to be living in anxiety and fear and struggles all the time at the things around us. And so I want us to think about that this morning. We're going to look at a passage in which Jacob, it tells us uh, in chapter 33 and verse seven, he was terrified. 
He was terrified of what was going on around him and kind of the impending stuff that was happening. And he was so overwhelmed by this. And I want us to think about just the things in our life that kind of bring those things to the surface for us. But as we begin, I want you just to hear this just as we set this uh, kind of the tone for everything we're going to look at. We've been in Genesis for several weeks now, actually several months now going back a ways. And what we've seen in Genesis over and over is that God tells people to go and do some things that would be kind of scary. For example, he told Abraham to pick up his family and everything he knew and move to a far off land. Just pick it up and go. And that's really all he told them. But then we see in Genesis 15, right after he tells them to do that, he says, fear not, I am your shield. He tells them, don't be fearful. Or we see Hagar, uh, Abraham's maidservant. She has a child. She gets kicked out of the house because of jealousy with Abraham's wife. There's all kinds of problems there. And there she is weeping and, and uh, just torn up over her situation. And God comes to her. And he says, what troubles you? Fear not. God hears you. Or you go further and you see Jacob as he runs for fear that his brother's going to kill him. Has nothing to his name. He's got a walking stick and he lays down to sleep on a rock because he has nothing else. And God shows up and he says, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I'm going to do everything I promised. And you see this repeated over and over, not just in Genesis, but in the whole of the Old Testament. Do not be fear. Do not be dismayed. Fear not. It is the Lord who fights for you. Let not your heart faint or be fearful. The Psalm 46 that we read just a second ago. God is our refuge. He is the one that is over all things. Daniel chapter 10, in the middle of his vision of seeing all these horribly scary things that are in front of him, God says, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Or Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It's a verse that I had my boys memorize. When they go to bed and they go, Dad, I'm, I'm scared of this, or I'm scared of the dark, or I'm this. I say, well, what's Isaiah 41.10? Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or verse 13, right after that, God then says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say, fear not, I am the one who helps you. I am the creator and sustainer of all things. What do you have to fear? I'm the one holding your right hand. And so over and over and over, 50 plus times in the Old Testament, God says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be dismayed. Over and over and over. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus says the same thing. He picks up right where the Old Testament leads off. Right? The, the actual embodiment of God in human form. Everything he speaks, God's word to us. God's perfect revelation. And Jesus comes and says, fear not, only believe. Fear not, little flock. The Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Fear not those that can kill the body. Jesus actually says that. Don't fear the people that can physically kill you. Luke chapter 12, he goes into a whole discourse. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. And then he gives you this wonderful picture. He says, look at the birds in the airs, in the air. And the, the flowers growing on the fields, he said, do I not take care of every one of them? And you are so much more valuable than they. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. And so we see this over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Yet if we're honest, we struggle. 
We struggle with the circumstances around us. We struggle with the things that we see in our life. And it's easy to start to slip into that fearfulness, that anxiousness. It can start to crowd in on us in these different ways. And so we begin to struggle. And so this morning, I want us to think about that. We're going to look at Jacob and his struggle here and the fear he has. And then we're going to learn some good things about what he does and the way he begins to deal with it. And so the way I want us to look at this passage together this morning is first, I want us to consider why we struggle with fear and anxiety. Why is it that we struggle? Secondly, what do we learn about how to deal with it here? By looking at Jacob and what he does, there's some good things to take from what he does. And then lastly, how do we trust and rest in the midst of this struggle? As those things continue to well up, how do we rest and trust God in the midst of that? And so let's just start with why do we fear? Why are we anxious to begin with? Uh, last week, Luke kind of caught you up. He actually took the part in chapter 32 as, uh, as uh, Jacob wrestles with God. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to actually go before and after that, kind of bracket around that. But he kind of caught you up to that. And just if you weren't here, you... Uh, don't remember last week, but as Jacob goes off some 20 years before because he's running from his brother, he's now returning to the land. He was running before taking off because his brother wanted to kill him because he'd swindled them out of the birthright and the blessing. He'd take advantage of his brother and he was furious. And Jacob left and he ran and he went off to uh, a far off land where he found his family he found Laban, his uncle. He got married. God blessed him. He has all these kids. And now he's coming back with all these blessings and all these things that God's done. But there's this thing hanging over him. And it's that there's still a problem with Esau, his brother. He's still, as far as he knows, his brother wants to kill him. This is the last contact they had. There was no email. There was no cell phones. There was no reaching out. They hadn't seen each other. And so as he goes back into the land, he begins to pass through where Esau lives. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 33 and verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau, humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkey, flocks of sheep and goats, many servants, both men and women. And I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with his flocks and herds and camels into two groups. And he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. And so put yourself in his shoes for just a second. As you see this picture, he's he's traveling back and he does what Jacob does. If you remember, you've been with us, Jacob, the swindler, Jacob, the cheater, Jacob, the, the guy that's always seeking to make deals. And so he goes into this land and he sends all these people ahead of him and says, go ahead of me and try to ease things over with my brother. Right? You go ahead and try to make good. Take him some gifts. Take him some things. Go ahead and see it. And so you can imagine Jacob sending them off ahead and they go. And as he's waiting for the word, they come back. And they come back and they say, hey, we, we found Esau. And you can almost imagine him going, yeah, yeah, okay, well, what happened? Well, don't worry, he's coming to see you and he's bringing an army with him. 
It's like, dang it, this is not good. Immediately you see that it says verse seven, Jacob was terrified at the news. He was overwhelmed at the news that he heard, terrified of what was going on. And he quickly divides his his all his uh, uh, company, all his servants and his family, divides them into two groups and goes, well, maybe we can escape if we divide this up. And so what you see Jacob doing is he starts to operate in this fearfulness and this kind of scariness that's there is this very real world thing. There's actually something for him to be afraid of. Given his history with his brother and what he knows, it's actually reasonable. And so when we talk about why do we have fear and anxiety and things in our lives, and I just say to you, sometimes it's because the world's scary. Sometimes there's real things in front of us that bring fear and anxiety in our life. And we can be real hard on Jacob here at the beginning and go, well, he's terrified. You kind of understand why. Last time he saw his brother, he wants to kill him. And now he hears he's coming to see him and he's bringing 400 guys with him. It's kind of scary. And so when we begin to think about that and we begin to see that and we see Jacob fearing and him struggling in the in the midst of that, we can kind of go, well, I get why he's afraid. If you know the history, it's reasonable. It's not unfounded. But here's the one problem with Jacob. God promised him 20 years before in the same place where he was, I will take care of you. I will bring you back. I will do all that I promised to you and I won't leave you. And so Jacob has very real circumstances in front of him that would bring fear and anxiety, but they are in direct contradiction to what God had already told him. And I think if we're honest and we start to look at our own lives, we do the same thing. There's a lot of things in our world that are very scary. I mentioned ISIS just a second ago. We've talked about this around the dinner table in my uh, missional community group. Man, that makes me really anxious. I hate seeing the news and what's going on and what this looks like. That there's people that have so distorted the view of God that they would go and kill people thinking it's in his name. It's a scary thing. There's a real thing that is in our world right now. And we can start to allow those things to cloud out. We can let the circumstances stand over what God's clearly told us. And it's easy to begin to do that. ISIS is very real. It may be somewhat remote, thankfully, to us right here today now. But it still can be scary. Or or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's uh, a health issue that you're dealing with. Or a health issue of a loved one. That's a very real scary thing right in front of you. And those things can begin to cloud out what God has told us. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you have some bills that are piling up and those things are staring you in the face. And you know what God says and you know he says, I'll take care of you and I'm going to keep you and do not fear. But those things seem really real because they are. And oftentimes that's why we begin to fear. We begin to become anxious. We begin to struggle with these different things. But there's two things I want you to consider as we think about that. We had a really interesting study this week. Uh, last year, a group did a study on the things that we fear and how they play out in our life. They did this huge extensive study and this is what they came up with. 85% of the things that you worry about 
you're anxious about and you fear never come to be. Eighty five percent of the things that you worry about never happen. Then they found that that remaining 15 percent where those fears are realized in some way or another of that remaining 15 percent, 80 percent of those things aren't near as bad as you thought they would be. You handle them way better than you thought you would, and you learn a valuable lesson that you never knew you would have. It actually ends up being pretty good. And so what they concluded was this. 97% of what you worry about is nothing more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. And then I think of God saying 50 plus times, don't be afraid. Fear not. I've got you. And yet we worry ourselves to death with all these things that never even happen. Or if they do, God was teaching us through them and he was working through them. And it's so easy to get caught up in those moments. And we begin to do that over and over and over again. And so I would just submit to you that when we get caught up in this fear and this anxiety, what scripture tells us is we're living in unbelief in some area of our life. We're not believing what God told us. And that happens. That happens with each one of us. Thankfully, we worship a gracious God that we can still know him and love him and come to him despite that. But that's where we all end up a lot of the times. And so what we see here is this anxiety and this fear. Now I want us to think about just a second what Jacob does to deal with it. Well, I mentioned Jacob does what Jacob does. The first thing he does is he tries to smooth the situation over. I'll fix it. I'll send them gifts. I'll go ahead. I'll take care of this. I'll get it all better. But then the word comes back. There's 400 guys coming with him. It doesn't seem like that worked. We don't really know, but that's the only news he gets. He's coming to see you and he's bringing 400 guys. Second thing Jacob does on how he deals with it at first is he quickly divides his people up into two camps. Well, maybe half of us can escape when he attacks. It's a very pragmatic Very tactical. I'm going to do this. And so you see, first he tries to smooth it over. And then secondly, he starts to prepare. And then only then in verse nine, does he begin to pray? The good news is he does pray. The good news is that we see in Jacob a humility that we haven't seen before. But he begins to pray. But I was struck personally by this as I read it. That the first thing he does is he tries to fix it. And then he plans for the worst. And then he prays. If I'm honest, that's what I do a lot of the times. When I'm really, really busy and I have a lot of things that are bringing stress in my life, a lot of times I try to fix all of them. I'll get up early and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll get them all out of the way and I'll start to fix it. Oh, and then I'll pray when I have time later. And I think I do exactly what Jacob does a lot of times and I get the order reversed. It would be to stop and pray first. Now, Jacob sending gifts to his brother, Jacob being tactical and dividing his people, those weren't sins or bad. But they only does he begin to pray after he's done all these other things and he's not sure how they're going to work. Oftentimes we're the same way. But look at what happens when he finally does pray. Look with the there at verse nine. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives 
And you promise me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me, your servant. And when I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid. He is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promise me I will surely treat you kindly. I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. So if you were here last week, Luke looked at that and then the, the struggle that Jacob has with God as he wrestles with him all night. And one of the things that Luke pointed out is that we see in Jacob's life God's unrelenting grace in all things. That God's so patient with Jacob and he continues to refine him and he continues to meet him where he is. And I would just submit to you that when you read through this and you see this, Jacob tries to smooth things over. He tries to tactically get ready. He tries to do all these things. And then and only then is he pushed to the point of where he humbles himself and just says, God, I'm afraid and I can't do this. And I would say to you, we see it in Jacob's life and we see it in our own lives. That God allows us at different times to feel the pressure of the things around us to drive us to him. To soften our hearts. To show us clearly the truth that we're not in control. But God is so loving and so gracious that he allows us to feel that at different times to where we have nowhere else to turn but to say, God, I can't do this. And I'd say that's God's grace in Jacob's life, even in letting him feel that. Even in letting him come to that place of going, God, I'm afraid and I don't know how this works. And what you see happen for the first time in Jacob's life is he's finally humbled. There's finally some humility. You see it in his words where he says, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm afraid he's going to kill me. He cries out in verse 10, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown to me, your servant. It's not the way Jacob prayed 20 years before. And he begins to humble himself and he begins to lay down his own thoughts on this. And just admit, I can't do this. And so when we begin to think about how do we address our fear and our anxiety and all of that goes with that. And I would simply say to you, you have to humble yourself. So much of our anxiety and our fear is tied to us assuming we know how things are going to go. I heard the. The term coined, I don't remember where I heard it, years ago. We have assumed omniscience. I assume I know how these things are going to go and they're going to be bad. And when I do that, I operate in fear and anxiety because I go, I don't know how this is going to work. The reason that doesn't work is you're not God. You're not supposed to know all of it. You're never going to know all of it. You're not in control of all of it. And it's only when we begin to realize that and humble ourselves that we can begin to give that over to God. And yet oftentimes we don't do that. I read in that study I was talking about earlier this week that when we are stressed, 
the part of our brain that deals with stress that often kicks in and tries to take over has the the cognitive ability of a toddler. Basically, we don't know in the emotional tough time of being really anxious and stressed and fearful how to deal with things. And I was so struck by that when I thought about it. That God tells us to rely on his word and his promises and what he says. But in those moments when we feel it in these ways, we trust our feelings over what God says. But what we know is we're like toddlers. We suddenly entertain crazy thoughts. We go to these places that are not helpful at all. And it's because we're trying to take a place that we were never designed to take. We're assuming the role of God. This can't work because of this. And so the ways we begin to deal with it is exactly what Jacob does here. He goes, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do it. Would you please save me? Would you please work for me in this situation? I'm going to put my trust in the promises that you gave me. First, Peter. Chapter five says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you notice before, but that's one sentence. It goes together. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When we try to hold on to all of it, and I know how this works, and this is the way it's going to work, and this is going to be bad, I'm not humbling myself. I'm still trying to carry all of it. It's only when I go, God, I don't know how this works, that I can cast my anxieties on him. And you finally see Jacob come to that place. I don't know how this works. I'm scared to death. I think he may be coming to kill me. Please, God, help me. And then and only then does that begin to work. And so we go, how do we deal with it in our life? Humble yourself. Start with going to God. It's okay to go to God and pray. I don't know how this works. It's okay to go to God and go, I am scared to death right now. It's exactly what Jacob begins to do when he humbles himself under God's hand. He then wrestles with him all night. Looked at that last week. But then he wakes up in the morning and look what happens. Chapter 33. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and his two servants. He put the servant wives and their children at the front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. Still hasn't figured out that whole favoritism thing, but he's working. He's a work in progress. Then Jacob went on ahead and as he approached his brother, he bowed down to the ground seven times before him. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God graciously has given your servant. Then the servants drew near they and their children and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And you see what happens? 
He's eaten up, terrified, fear and anxiety over all these things for nothing. All of that. And he shows up and Esau goes, I'm so glad to see you. And he hugs him and he kisses him. He says, why were you sending me all those gifts? What was that about? Right? You begin to see how absurd kind of his thinking is and the way he's doing it and the way he allows that to cloud him. But here's the incredible thing in all that. Yeah, he spent a lot of times worrying. He spent a lot of time anxious. He spent a lot of time terrified for nothing. Yet God met him in the midst of all that. And he began to teach him and to show him and to humble him and to refine him. See, even when we blow it, even when we operate in unbelief, even when we continue to do those things, God is gracious and he's patient and he teaches us and he shows us and he refines us and he continues to draw us closer to him. And so you see right here a perfect picture of all the things that we worry about that never come to fruition. But the last thing I want us to consider, we will still struggle with this as we get up and leave today. There will still be things that nip at us that will seek to bring fear and anxiety. 97% of it will never come to fruition or it won't be that bad. But what about the 3%? There are times when it does happen. There are times when your fears are realized. You go, well, what about those times? Like, what about the times when somebody calls and says, your brother died in a car wreck? What? The good news is God is still God. We worship a God who's not far off, who says, just trust me, I'll take care of these things. This is where Christianity splits from everything else. We worship a God who came and entered into our suffering with us. And there's going to be times when that 3% comes and you're crushed. It's like a punch in the gut. And you go, why? What is going on? And there's going to be times where you don't have an answer. For a year or five years, or ten years, or in this lifetime. But the good news is that God knows everything you're dealing with. He knows all the way down to the deepest depths because He stepped into this world and He lived all of it. Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. That He knows every bit of your struggles and your frustrations He knows what it's like. And he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I love you so much that I will enter into it with you. I will take your sin on myself and I will pay for it and do away with it. I will come again and regenerate and make all things new. And you will see how it was all worth it. See, Jacob began to see that he could trust God. He was starting to see God's faithfulness. He was seeing how he was keeping his promises and what he was doing. But on this side of the cross, as we look to Jesus, we see it in fullness. What Jacob only saw in part, we see completely. And so in those moments, in that 3%, you can stop and go, I can rest. 
I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know that it is. God's proven that he's trustworthy in the midst of all of that. So let me just end here. There's actually a, a little part of a song in the bulletin this morning. I've listened to this song a lot recently. And the singer just says over and over, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? And it's really somber and serious and it gets to the very end and it ends this way. He says, I am right beside you. I feel what you feel. I'm here to hold you when death is too real. You know, I died for you. I was terrified. I gave myself for you. I was crucified because I love you. I love you, child. I love you. So when the 3% comes, you can gaze your eyes at Jesus and know that he loves you. You can know that he has you in all things and you can rest in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. That even when things are so difficult, even when it's so overwhelming that we can trust you in all things, that you know exactly where we are and what we're going through, that you have gone to great lengths to redeem us, to redeem this world, to set things to rights, and that we can trust in that because of the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that is true. I pray for each one here today that's dealing with anxiety, with fear, with those frustrations in different areas of their life. I pray that you would make so real to them your promises and the way that you love them today in a way that they've never experienced it before. I pray that you continue to, to refine us that you would continue to sanctify us from one degree of glory to another until we see in fullness who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.